something the podcast where i learn about well seemingly random topics whatever floats my boat and uh then the most interesting and least confusing things are what i'm gonna uh teach you about i'm melissa and i'm everett um and the reason i say that particularly this episode is because i upon my first draft of research learned so many deeply complex things that maybe were too complicated, not that interesting. And so 60% of my first draft gone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I've arrived at a final draft, which has very few complicated things and mostly just cool things. Um, and as you can see from the title, this is going to be about lobsters, which probably it makes is. you very confused about why it was so complicated. But there was a lot of chemistry and sure. physics that I've lost from the from the <laughs> episode. Just, just misplaced You're it. You're welcome. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'll tell you what I cut out in case you're interested. When we get there, you can go look that stuff up yourself. Of course. Um, yeah, so lobsters are cool. And this episode was mainly inspired by a, let's call it a meme, that goes okay. around the internet. And if you try to Google it, it's repeated over and over on like 20 different pages. No one seems to have done much research or fact-checked the meme, except for actual scientists. So I thought I would I don't feel like memes are often fact-checked, though. They should be. Uh, I agree. You should agree, stop but... sharing things that you don't know if they're true or not, mm-hmm. is the point. So I would like to teach you about lobsters now. And lobster memes? Yeah, there's a few, actually. Okay, perfect. Well, teach us something. That's not the name of the podcast. Teach me something. (laughs) Just me. Nailed it. (laughs) Okay. Lobsters. Let's just talk about lobsters for a second here. Okay. Well, probably the whole time. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Lobsters um, are actually in lots of old art. Good. In, uh, In certain cultures, that is. Um, for example, the Romans had lobsters and lots of other edible sea creatures as part of their, like, floor mosaics, um, in their houses and in public, um, lobster imagery was on, like, their coins, vases, like, lots of things like that. Do I say vase or vase? I think I say both. I can't. Yeah, I just realized that. I said vase. Do I? Hmm. Because I wouldn't say vases, I don't think. No, but I think I say a, vase when it's singular. A singular, a singular vase, <laughs> plural vases. Apparently. That's huh. what I say, too. Okay, I we don't gotta, know we'll, we'll deconstruct that one later. Um, right. So, the earliest depiction of a lobster is from a mural on a temple wall in Dair el-Bahari, Egypt. Not on vases? I, or a singular vase? A mural. Mural. Okay. Mural. Yeah, um, that commemorates the trade voyage of the Egyptian queen Hatshepsut to the Southern Red Sea 3,500 years ago. Um, it appears to be, uh, in such detail, we can tell it's a spiny lobster hmm. carved together with some other Red Sea marine animals. 
Um, other mosaics showed like drama scenes, like lobsters fighting octopuses and lobsters and moray eels particularly. Okay. Together. Um, the Greeks and Romans were knowledgeable about the biology of Mediterranean lobsters. And I say that with, you know, a grain of salt because sure. our friend. So good with just a little bit of salt. <laughs> Or Pliny is where we're going. I was going to say Pliny. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to come into the picture here. Um, Yeah, they talked about the fishing techniques, how to get them. Um, Hippocrates wrote about lobsters like 2,400-ish years ago. Um, He was able to distinguish between clawed lobsters, spiny lobsters, and slipper lobsters. Okay. Uh, So, Aristotle and Pliny the Elder. They wrote about lobsters as animals without blood. Mm. That's wrong. I mean, as most things Pliny says are, um, they do have blood. We're going to talk about it. Good. Um, But they did give, like, some really detailed, correct information about their morphology, how they looked, and uh, very detailed descriptions of that. Like they were able to look at them and then describe them accurately. Yeah. Okay. I mean... Pliny didn't always do that part of it correctly. I, so I know. Like, just, I'm just saying. Yeah. Credits do where credits do. Um, yeah. But lobsters weren't common in all cultures' art. Um, mm. As you might imagine, probably due to the fact that Jewish and Christian people were forbidden from eating yeah. lobsters. Right. So they would be nowhere in that type of uh, culture. And as we know, the Christian culture did spread quite a long ways. It sure did. Yeah. Um, yeah, they kind of have no shellfish. Forbidden. So lobsters were also, you know, more than just food. They thought they also had medicinal value during the Middle Ages and the, yeah. the Renaissance. So the lobster rostrum, which is like the most front part that protects the eyes, um, if you roasted it, pulverized it, and dissolved it in wine, it could be used, with air quotes, used, as a general remedy for urinary diseases, for purging kidney stones. Mm. Um, the lobster meat or, like, broth were used as a diuretic, which is, like, something that makes you pee. Yeah. Because in ancient medicine, anything that made you yeah. excrete Boy. anything was medicine, right? Yeah. It was doing something. Um, the gastrolith, which is like calcareous rocks, like, you know, calcium based mm-hmm. little rocks, um, were used, we're going to talk about them later, by the way. Anyways, they were used to treat eye inflammation, stomach aches, and epilepsy, which makes so much sense. The cure for those things should be the same. Yep. Why not? Okay. Um. Fine. Native Americans use lobsters to fertilize their crops and bait their fishing hooks. Well, both of those seem pretty plausible, though. Yeah, I'm more getting around to the fact that they were just like, you know, sea bugs. They're just okay. very common. I mean, they did eat them. Sure. Um, the, traditionally, they prepared them by covering them in seaweed and baking them over hot rocks, which is apparently what inspired the classic New England clam bake techniques. Oh. Okay. Uh-huh. And then so the first European settlers come to North America... And they claim lobsters were so plentiful they would wash ashore in piles of two feet high. Um, they were, you know, valuable to eat 
during hard times because they were so plentiful. Yeah. But that gave them a reputation as like a poor man's food. Right. Poor man's chicken, poor man's protein, you know. Yeah. I've heard um, this before. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So then they started using them as garden fertilizer. They would give them to, you know, the pe- the the street urchins and orphans and, you know, widows. <laughs> mm. Stupid widows can't get their own food. Yeah. Servants and prisoners and so Prisoners of Massachusetts actually were, like, revolting against it. Massachusetts passed a law forbidding the use of lobster more than twice a week. Um, they actually considered a daily lobster dinner, quote, a cruel and unusual punishment. Right. So funny thinking about that now, right? Yeah, it's changed a bit. Um, like, also in Massachusetts, servants um, would include stipulations in their contracts that they weren't to be fed lobster more than twice a week, that kind of thing. Um, the American revolutionaries even used the insult lobster back for the British soldiers because they wore redcoats. Oh, and, okay. You know, they were trash. You right. Know, that was the connotation there. Couldn't eat them more than twice a week. Um, yeah, and even that wasn't, you know, they didn't want that. That was just as little as they could get fed lobster. Of course. Um, it wasn't until the 19th century that lobsters kind of regained some status as this luxury food item because they weren't thought of as trash back in, you know... The ancient days. Yeah. Um, mostly this, of course, happens when the rich and the famous and the royals decide that things are good. Of course. They like them. Yeah. So now they're good again. Um, so that's like the 18, late 1800s, 1880s, basically. Um, and the prices start to go up. Boston, New York start to kind of have them in the fancy restaurants. And then since then, they're, you know, a luxury item. Yeah. So one little last lobster background. Canada and the U.S. produced 62% of the lobsters globally in 2013. That is 145,221 tons of lobster. Tons. Tons. Okay, that sounds like a lot of lobster. Well, and then when you think about in 2007, it was 86,000 tons. Oh, that's like doubling. Um, Well, not quite, but... Not quite, but... Probably too much. Seems yeah. like too much yeah. to be increasing the rate of lobsters, especially because something I cut out of the podcast, like rates of lobster shell disease, which is this mysterious kind of disease we don't know a lot about, has just been like skyrocketing and now tons of lobsters have it and they're dying early. And anyways, I fear it's climate change and I fear that we are exhausting some of the healthy stock of lobster. But sure. Alas, I didn't really want to dwell on that. It made me feel bad, so I cut it out of the podcast. Until now. Shell disease. No, I had a whole section on it. Okay. If you want to know more, shell disease. Okay. We're going to talk about something that I think is fun. Probably no one else does. So bear with me. I want to talk about lobster taxonomy. Hmm. It's inevitable. Death and taxonomy. (laughs) God. I guess if your name is Linnaeus, you would think so. But taxonomy, if you don't know, is how we classify and sort living things. Yes. Lobsters are invertebrates. Correct. Phyla, yes. The phylum is arthropoda. They're okay. arthropods. Totally with you so far. Bugs. They are bugs. I'm just kidding. They're not, but they are, you know, related to them since other arthropods are the insects, the arachnids. Those are other classes of bugs. Um, sorry, I said oh, classes. Sorry. Those are other 
types of arthropods and I shouldn't say classes because that's a whole different thing in taxonomy. I don't want to be. <laughs> Anyways, arthropod means jointed foot from the Greek. Jointed foot. Yeah. Okay, cool. Arthropod. Yeah. That's, pod. Pod. That's okay. how we classify things into that phylum. They have jointed appendages. Um, lobsters like crabs and shrimp are in the class crustacea because they have a flexible shell. Because mm-hmm. crustacean literally means to have a crust or shell in Latin. Very Makes literal. Sense, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, lobsters have how many legs? Uh, I don't actually know. Do they have eight? No, that may be arachnids. That's why I was guessing that. Uh, Just six? Kidding. Just kidding. There's other differences. Um, their order is decapoda. Ten. Yeah. Okay. Nice. Ten feet. There you go. There are a ton of different types of lobsters. Okay. Okay. So all of them are in the suborder Pleosiamata, which is a decapod where the fertilized eggs are incubated by the female and remain stuck to the pleopods, are also called summerettes because they're swimming legs. That's okay. how you define that, that group. We'll talk about that a little later. Um, there's like a ton of infraorders within the Pleosiamata. So there's... One that has the marine lobsters and freshwater crayfish. I'm not going to tell you all the scientific names, even though they're written down here because no one cares. There's one that has the spiny or rock lobsters <gasps> or leg or langoustines and slipper lobsters and furry lobsters. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and then there's one that has the mud lobsters. And then you divide all those groups up into different... Anyways, my main message is that one... Rock lobsters are a real thing. Okay. Not just a B-52 song. Yeah. And when we say lobster to each other, we are definitely not at all guaranteed to be talking about the same animals. Right. Because if you've ever seen a crayfish, crawfish, yeah. rock lobster, spiny lobster, clawed lobster, you'd know that they don't quite all look the same, act the same, live no. in the same places. Yeah. Very different places, in fact. Yeah. So, but these things are all colloquially called lobsters. Okay. Okay. So one more question I had about classification of lobsters is the difference between a crawfish and a crayfish because I hear it a lot and I'm like, is there a difference? Are they the same yeah, thing? Yeah, I'm not actually sure. So they are, yeah, they're the same thing. Okay. Crawfish, crayfish, and crawdads are the same animals. Mm-hmm. Louisianans mostly say crawfish. Okay. Northerners more likely say crayfish. If you're from the West Coast or Arkansas, Oklahoma, and Kansas. Crawdads. Yes, correct. Nailed it. How did you know that? Well, from living in California for a short period of time, I remember them being called crawdads. Oh, yes. That would be the West Coast. Every once in a while, watching them walk across the road, which was a really strange That's experience. That's very weird. Yeah. That's a weird place. Yeah. In the Mississippi Delta, they call them mud bugs. Um, English-speaking nations outside North America have other names. Uh, in Australia, a crawfish... <laughs> Or crayfish, whatever, is called a yabby, usually, or oh, a kura. I've heard of yabbies. I had no idea what they were. Okay. It's a crayfish. This, okay, great. Crawfish, which aren't even indigenous to Singapore, but they have them as pets. Ooh, um, okay. Call them freshwater lobsters. Um, other names for them are mountain lobsters, bay bugs, and confusingly, rock lobsters. But that's different from the other rock lobsters I mentioned. This is just a colloquial name that's not the same as... Not actual rock lobsters. Yeah. Fake rock lobsters. The other type of rock lobster is more often called the spiny lobster. But you said there was also spiny lobsters. No, no. I'm saying 
spiny lobster, rock lobster, and langoustine are all the same. All the same animal. Okay. This is why it's so very confusing. Yes. If someone says lobster, what animal are you talking about? A boot. Because in Canada, what do we call them? I had to look it up because I didn't even know now. Crayfish. We call them crayfish here. Okay. There are 11 species of crayfish in Canada. Cool. Yeah. I don't know why. <laughs> now you know. <laughs> Perfect. So here is where we get into the meme. One of the most interesting things about lobsters is their odd anatomy. So on the internet, you're going to see something said, oh, the lobster's brain is in its throat and their nervous system is in their abdomen and their teeth are in their stomach and their kidneys are in their heads and they hear with their legs and taste with their feet. That is repeated everywhere. Okay. And so I've never seen this meme, but I trust you. If you were to search lobster facts or anything about lobsters, you would probably find it. Um, and so when I was trying to verify these facts, every time I tried to Google any one of those claims, all I would get was that repeated over and over and over and over again. And I'm like, Ugh. anyways, it's very annoying. So I, like, let's... I like this one. Interesting fact of the day. The average person swallows eight lobsters in their sleep every year. I don't think you're going to cover that meme today. Just wanted to point out that this seemed the most enjoyable of the ones I've seen so far. Oh, fair enough. Yeah. So, let's start at the beginning with the brain. Lobsters do not have a centralized brain area like mammals do. Um, they're an invertebrate. That shouldn't be that surprising. Um, they have large cluster of nerve cells above their mouth called the supraesophageal ganglion. That functionally, you found it. I did find it. You found it. I did found it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, good. At least I'm not crazy. No. Okay. Anyways, sorry. Everett's busy Googling while I'm trying to do a podcast. Yeah, I'll return to podcasting <laughs> now. So this supraesophageal ganglion does function as their brain. And it's above their mouth, around their throat area. So I guess this one's kind of... Kind of true. Kind of true. Okay. But... With the nervous system, that one is not true, in my opinion. So I'll explain why. So the lobster nervous system is really primitive. Again, mm -hmm. invertebrates don't have sophisticated nervous systems. Um, it's most similar to the nervous system of an insect. Not surprising, they're closely related. Yeah. Uh, so lobsters and other invertebrates have only like 100,000 neurons in their, in their body. Humans... Do you know how many we have? It was in um, two of our kids' library books recently. Hmm. Do you remember? I'm going to assume millions. Oh, 100 billion-ish? So I was pretty close. <laughs> By orders of magnitude, I think you were closer to the lobster number, but that's okay. Well, um, but this is Price is Right rules. So I was still above lobster, but under... You didn't want to go over. That's right. Right. Mm -hmm. You didn't want to guess, like, I don't know, a trillion. Mm, yeah, because then it'd be insane. way off. <laughs> Yeah, orders magnitude maybe not so much, but person's yeah. right rules I would have lost. So lobsters have a ventral nerve cord. Ventral just meaning running along their belly side, okay. not like where ours is on the dorsal or back side. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, they have more of those nerve clusters, the ganglia. They have subesophageal ganglia, thoracic ganglia, and abdominal, abdominal ganglia. 
And then, of course, they have motor nerves that extend out from the nerve cord because otherwise, how would they move? Yeah. So to say that their nervous system is in their abdomen is is absurdly reductive to me because it runs all along their body, their whole body. Right. That's silly. Yeah. <laughs> Debunked. <laughs> um, as far as the teeth in the stomach thing, again... All of these things are silly because they don't have anatomy, anything like these things. They don't have teeth, again, and they don't have one stomach. Okay. So lobsters have two or three stomachs, depending Mm. on, like, how you define things. Okay. Some sources, like, go with two and some go with three, but it's just because they describe different organs differently because... They're invertebrates and they don't have a stomach like we do, you know, like a mammal. They don't have that type of anatomy. Yeah. So the first stomach um, called either the cardiac stomach or the foregut is located kind of right behind the mouth. Okay. Very short distance. Um, So the food is chewed in this stomach between three grinding surfaces that kind of look like molars called the gastric mill. And that's where the teeth and the stomach thing come from. Okay. But they're really not the same. I mean, they're grinding. So, okay. I can see why. It's a grinding surface. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Teeth. Sure. Okay. I mean, it's not made of the same thing as teeth. It's not. I don't know. Yeah. But whatever. That's like saying birds chew with their teeth in their stomach because they swallow rocks, rocks that grind up their food yeah. in their stomach. You know what I mean? Like, it's a... Yeah. Again, it's a little reductive. It's a lot reductive. But, but it's I can internet, see. So. I can see the thread of... Yeah. Um, so, you know, that stomach crushes the food to digest it some more. Um, speaking of food, by the way, I wanted to mention this. People used to think lobsters were scavengers, but actually they mostly always catch fresh food. They eat fish and crabs and clams and mussels and sea urchins and marine worms. And some people thought or think that they're cannibals and they eat other lobsters too. Um, but all of these Things like that they're scavengers or that they're cannibals come from the fact that people keep them in tanks and smush them into little spaces with other lobsters and they're stressed out and they have no room and then they attack each other. But it's literally never, ever been witnessed once in the wild. People would like analyze a wild lobster and they'd be like, "Mm, there's lobster parts in its stomach. Look at their shell in its stomach. And then we realized that they mostly always eat their shells after they molt them. Oh, really? So that did not explain much that they ate other lobsters. They don't do that. Doesn't seem like okay. on the scavenger thing. They don't do that if they are fed fresh food. People would just, of course, drop dead things in the tank. So so they would seem to scavenge it. Okay. Yeah. Anyways, the next stomach. It's the one that some don't classify as a stomach. It's called the mid gut by the people that do say it's a stomach. It's a digestive gland that. The people that don't call it a stomach actually call it the tomali. Tomali? 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 I don't know. I don't eat lobster. Um, but if you do, you might know of this. Um, people think of it as a lobster's liver because they don't actually have a liver. Yeah. They... It does have further digestion of food particles, but it's a big green gland that's apparently considered a delicacy by people that eat lobster, and they think it's super delicious. Okay. So if there's a green thing and it's a digestive gland, that's apparently delicious. Perfect. Um, the third stomach, or I guess second for those that sure. didn't think the tamale was a stomach, 
uh, is the hindgut or pyloric stomach where the final digestion and absorption of the food happens. So teeth in the stomach is another kind of maybe kind of it's has, a kind of has more kind of like plates or surfaces or something like that that further grinds down the food or starts to die. That's the first thing that grinds the food. Okay. Yeah. Eh. Again, if you're going to try to compare human anatomy to lobster anatomy, I guess this is the best you can do, right? Okay, sure. Now for the kidneys and the head thing. I think you know what I'm about to say. They don't have kidneys? Yeah, lobsters don't have kidneys. (laughs) Yeah. But, yes, their bladders are in their heads. Okay. This is one of the most interesting things. They're located kind of like just under the brain, quote, brain. Okay. Um, and they do release the urine through a, what are called nephropores. It's a, you know, they're two, two tubes, paired set of nephropores that come out at the base of their second antennae. Okay. So it's like right under their eyes. Okay. And they... Okay, so they pee out of their face. That is a thing. They do do that. Sure. The lobster does pee out of its face. And they kind of inject the the urine into the gill current Mm -hmm. produced, you know, by the water squirting out of their gills forwards and projects the urine forwards, which we will definitely talk about later. That sounds like it could be used for, like, defense or something like that. Kind of. Marking or scenting or something. Yeah, that's that's closer, yep. So, on to the next claim. Do lobsters really hear with their legs? I mean, probably through vibration, which I guess is kind of like sonar, which we equate to hearing. You're pretty close. So, this is what the classic research, and by classic I mean old, okay. old research says. They said, okay, we think lobsters are capable of producing and detecting some low frequency sounds. They don't have ears. <laughs> yeah. Or the functional equivalent of ears. And so they can't hear these sounds like we do. But sounds are just vibrations that travel through a medium. Yeah. And so they can be detected by anything that's a mechanoreceptor, right? It detects yeah. movement. Um, you know, it just had to feel a water vibration. So mechanoreception is largely done in lobsters through their antennae and some special hairs found mostly on their claws. So that's where hearing would take place, right? Sure. So maybe lobsters do hear with their legs. Okay. Okay. A new study showed that, yeah, lobsters hear through their hair. Um, so the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institute in Massachusetts Shows lobsters can detect low-frequency sounds, and probably they can hear a bunch of human-generated noise, like oil wells and all these other things are in the ocean, and it probably bugs them. And um, So the scientists found that hair fans, which are these external cuticle hairs that cover most of the body, are likely responsible for the sound detection. And that the lobster's frequency of sound detection overlaps with the frequency of those buzzing noises they produce, which means that they're clearly capable of communicating with those sounds, um, like during fighting, aggressive encounters with other males, that type of thing. Um, so, for example, researchers found that sensory hairs on the claws of the Australian yabby were more sensitive to 
like a certain frequency. So between 150 and 300 hertz. Um, but on different body parts of the American lobster, they would detect lower sounds, 800 or sorry, 80 to 250 hertz. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of interesting that maybe different body parts might hear different things or just that different types of lobster detect different frequencies. Cause maybe that's the sound that they made. They need to, yeah, or... they need to do more studies on the area. But, um, what I'm really trying to say is that. Lobsters here with their whole body because these hairs are all over their body. So again, it's very silly and reductive to say that they hear with their feet or legs. Like I mean, so kind of true, but you just try to make it sound weirder than it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the other interesting thing about this study is that scientists were saying that you know this really shows us that hearing is mechanistically possible, is how they put it. Yeah. In a much wider array of marine invertebrates than we thought. Like, why do we just assume that because things are more primitive than us that they can't feel pain? <clears throat> I don't want to talk about boiling lobsters alive. Let's not talk about that. But like things like that. Why do we just assume that just because they don't do it like us? That's the classical science, right? Yeah. So there's a lot to learn, especially about things in the ocean. Me, yeah. So next, do lobsters taste with their feet? This is, I mean, they're all kind of like this. Uh, yeah, I mean. Kind of. Kind of. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, kind of. Um, lobsters have a highly developed system of smell and taste. Which are very similar right. types of things. Yes. My next sentence was going to say, since these two senses are so intricately linked. Yeah. <laughs> let's start talking about smell. Um, so their first antennae, so I said the second antennae, like the ones they kind of pee out from under. Yeah. Those are the big ones. Okay. The first antennae are called antennules because they're little antennae. Um, they are the nose of the lobster. Okay. They are covered in hundreds of fine hairs and that's the organs of smell, those, those hairs on those antennules. Um, they're very, very sensitive to amino acids. Amino acids, of course, are the building blocks of proteins, yeah. which is what things are made of and what they like to eat, right? Uh, so their sense of smell is actually so good. So they can sniff out a single amino acid of their favorite food. Like if there was just one, they could go find it. Um, they're actually among the most sensitive smellers on the planet. Cool. Some scientists call them walking noses. Hmm. So... The hairs, though, are densely packed, and that can be a problem in a watery environment because water is more viscous than air. True. And when little fine structures are densely packed together in a you know, viscous environment, the water isn't going to move very well between them. Right. Make sense? So there's this boundary of non-moving water around the hair, and right. that does not work. So what they do um, is they sniff, (laughs) just like we do, right? Um, Because they need to detect concentration changes in a smell. Yeah. Otherwise, how are they going to go find? Um, How do they know if they're getting closer or further away, basically? Yeah. So it has to constantly be able to have new water. Yeah. So they sniff by flicking their antennule downward and upward really quickly to move the water and circulate around. So when you see them, if you could ever see a lobster with its little antennules and it's flicking all around, that is a lobster sniffing. Cool. 
Um, and because, you know, they have two. They can go in different directions. A certain amount. Well, because they're set a certain amount apart, unlike our noses. Got it. They can detect different um, concentrations between the two antennules and go, like, figure out direction of smell much better than we could, right? Right. It's the same thing that happens with our ears because our ears are set apart so we can hear sound more, like, loudly from one ear or the other. And, and detect where the sound is. triangulate things. Yeah. yeah. Same thing with them, with smell. So, taste. The legs and the feet and the mouth parts have most of the taste organs on them, which are also hairs, but different shape from those on the antennules. Um, the legs kind of probe around in the sediment for food, pass these items to the mouth parts, which will provide the final kind of yes or no about whether something should be eaten or not. And uh, But they do have these hairs all over their body, um, head, head to claw, <laughs> covered <laughs> in them. So, um, lobsters can smell and taste across nearly every part of their body. And the mouth okay. part does the final work. So, like, again, yeah, they taste with their feet, but... And their back. What part do they and not their mouth. taste with? And yeah. mostly their mouth. Yeah, so, again, people are just trying to say it's, it's sensationalist, that's what it is. Sure. <laughs> okay. I said... I want, I want to talk about this because I think it's also interesting anatomy. So I think it fits in with this section here. Do you know what color lobster blood is? Yellow. No. Oh. Do you just want to be different? Is that why you said yellow? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, well, it's not red. Okay. <laughs> because lobsters don't use hemoglobin. Right. Which is what makes our blood red. I wonder if you recall... An episode we did in the past. Because Any episode? <laughs> no, there's a certain one oh, that's okay. on my mind. We've talked about an animal before that has blue blood. Um, mm -hmm. Do you remember what animal that is? No. Okay. Well, it's kind of blue. I'd give you mostly full marks if you said blue. In reality, it's clear. It's colorless. But it's really blue because... You know how it is. Blood can really only be observed well when it's oxygenated, and when it's oxygenated, it is blue. Okay. When it's not oxygenated, it is clear. Yeah, I still, I'm racking my brain. I cannot recall. Lobster blood. I'm going to keep talking and see if you can think of it. Lobster blood contains hemocyanin instead of hemoglobin as their oxygen-binding molecule. Is it blue? <laughs> With oxygen. It's, what what does it contain? It's horseshoe crabs, Everett. Horseshoe crabs. Remember, we talked about I horseshoe know, crabs. I, I do recall. I just didn't put the two together at this they time. They have blue blood as well because they use hemocyanin as well. We talked about them in the Animals in Medical Science episode, if yep. you want to learn about this. Um, horseshoe crabs, yes, use the same thing because they are related, although distantly, to lobsters. Sure. They're not crabs, so they're not crustaceans. No. But they are arthropods. Okay. Yeah. Hinged feet. Yeah. Yeah. Close enough. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, mollusks, some mollusks also use hemocyanin, but mostly it's the arthropods. Okay. Hemocyanin contains, instead of the iron that makes our blood red, what metal? Do you remember this? You probably don't if you don't remember the horseshoe crabs thing. 
but we talked about it in this episode. No, I don't recall. Uh, hemocyanin has copper okay. in it to bind to the oxygen. Copper likes oxygen. So um, I did keep in a very small amount of the boring chemistry. Oh, good. Um, to humor ever, And I also, I don't think it's boring. I'm just saying that for all you podcast people that might think it's boring because hmm. I want you to like me. Um, so in aqueous solutions, copper can exist in the plus one mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. the plus two oxidation yes. state. Very good. <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, so copper plus one has no unpaired, what are called D electrons. D orbital electrons, okay. Yes, D orbital electrons, which is just one of the places an electron can be orbiting something. I don't know how to mm, explain this in a short manner. An outer layer. Yeah, I don't think we need to completely explain this. The thing is that copper plus one is colorless because it has no unpaired D electrons. That's what you need to know. Colorless because of this. So if the blood's not oxygenated, it is clear. Yeah. Okay. Um, which is why actually the deeper uh, lobster might live in the ocean, the like more clear its blood would be because it's very oxygen poor environment. Anyways, right. when oxidation happens, well, oxygenation of the copper happens. Um, and it becomes copper two plus. It, it undergoes oxidization as well. Okay, I didn't want to say the wrong thing and mm. get in trouble. Um, then it turns blue because it now has one unpaired d electron and it's higher energy something excited. The light does something. Correct. I don't really know how to explain that part because I was reading it and it sounds complicated to explain in one sentence. So I'm not going to try. Let's not go through that lecture. Uh, But correct. The blood undergoes oxygenation. Copper does not like to be in the one plus state. Not particularly. It really, really doesn't. And so it likes to grab onto oxygen whenever it can and become that two plus state, which is why it works really well as an oxygen carrying Molecule for blood. Yep. That part, I do. I do understand that part. So, after all that odd anatomy, I did want to touch on one of the few things lobsters do have in common with humans, which is also on this meme, which is correct. They do tend to favor one front limb over the other. Okay. Um, whether it's crusher claw is on the left side or the right side of its body will determine if you have a left Handed or right-handed, left clawed or right clawed yeah. lobster, I should say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that and that varies between lobsters, so that's kind of cool. Are you are you looking that up right now too? No, I saw it. I was just trying to look up other lobster facts, but they're too blurry. You you wanted to know what the other meme I'm going to bring up is? Oh, I didn't know there was another one, but yes, please do. Well, no, it's not time for that yet. I thought, oh, I no, thought please that's what don't. you were doing. No, I don't want you to do that. You were the one that said there was more than one meme at the start, and I agreed with you. True. You forgot True. that already, huh? I'm so interesting. You've forgotten already the beginning of our podcast. So long ago. <laughs> so I want to go back to the color thing for a second and talk about the color of the outside of a lobster. Okay. You probably all know that lobsters aren't red until after you cook them. Yeah. 
Usually. Um, why is that exactly? So normally lobsters are brownish, brown. kind of greenish, but brown. Yeah. Um, so lobsters eat a red pigment called astaxanthin. And it's eating this pigment that makes it red. Okay. Okay. Astaxanthin is an antioxidant that helps lobsters cope with stress. And I mean oxidative stress inside their body. I don't mean like they're really worried about getting eaten by an octopus stress. Oh, I was going to say like that their relationship might end or something like that. Okay, good. No, their relationships always end as we'll talk about. (laughs) So it's a carotenoid pigment. Just like some of the orange compounds in carrots are carotenoids. Uh, Astaxanthin is also what gives salmon its red colors. Okay. That's why salmon is healthy. The one reason? Okay. That's one of the reasons. Lobsters get their astaxanthin from eating certain plant material. It's usually like the only plants they eat. They don't eat a lot of plants. But that pigment goes into their skin. It deposits in their skin. And that's where it kind of shows up as being red. Then it moves into the shell and these special proteins grab the pigment and twist it around and twisting the structure of this pigment turns it into a blue color. Oh, that's kind of cool. All right. Now, I remember telling you about this when I was researching. This is a very complicated, very complicated about the twisting of astaxanthin. Yes. And I cut most of it out. So... Yeah, you lost me during a good chunk of that when you were explaining it to me before. I so kind of follow, but... If you're yeah. interested, you could Google astaxanthin and twisting, and, and you could learn about this yourself if you wanted to uh, really Deep try drive. hard. Yes. Um, okay, so it's in the shell. It's been twisted. It turns blue. Then, later on, it gets twisted again in a different way and turns yellow. This is the very short story. So when we're looking at lobsters and other crustaceans, we are looking through a layer of yellow pigment, through a layer of blue pigment, down to the skin, which is red. So it's the stacking up of the different colors that has us seeing lobsters as a brown color. Okay. All that Or kind of greenish sometimes. Yeah. Yes. Interesting, right? Mm -hmm. So lobsters can be other colors. About one of every two million lobsters that we trap are blue. Um, A yellow lobster is seen once in 30 million lobsters. Wow. Okay. Uh, The rarest one is a white lobster. One in 100 million. There are even lobsters that have two different colors. Cool. Like completely evenly split down the middle of their body. Like one side is like orange and one side like brown. Cool. Um, These are hermaphrodites that have a male sex organ on one color side and the female on the other color side. Really? There has even been calico lobsters, orange lobsters, and bright red lobsters caught. See? Sometimes they are red. It's just super rare. So basically, if the lobsters lack the ability genetically to produce some of these different proteins that grab that astaxanthin and twist it, that's when you're going to see some of these red or other colored lobsters uh, blue lobsters are caused by a lack of astaxanthin in their diet. Okay. In fact, some researchers produce blue lobsters on purpose by not allowing them access to that pigment 
in order to study that shell disease I mentioned because you can see a brown spot on a blue lobster much easier than you can see a brown spot on a brown lobster. I see. Okay. Yeah. So the color in lobsters is really dependent on two things. Their diet, which gives them that red pigment, and their genetics, which determines how much of those proteins that twisted around they have. Um, now lobsters turn red when you cook them because the proteins that twist the pigment around to produce that yellow and blue, they can't handle heat. They denature, they fall apart, releasing the astaxanthin, and pigments, on the other hand, generally remain stable in heat, which leaves just the right red color. Okay. Um, white lobsters, though, the albino ones with no pigment, they go into a pot white and come out white. Sure. People don't eat white lobsters usually because they think it looks icky. Oh. Okay. You know. Fine. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I kind of want to take a step back and go back into that whole lobsters pee out of their face thing. Great. Yeah. Um, so it turns out like many other animals and like you had guessed, lobsters use their urine to communicate usually about fighting over some territory with other males or about having sex. You know, the two most important things in life. Sure. Sex and fighting. Yes. When researchers analyzed lobster urine, they found a whole lot of pheromones. And then they studied lobster anatomy a little more closely and realized that beside the lobster bladder in their head, connected to the urinary tract, they have rosette glands, is what they're called. And this is where all the pheromones come from. So they produce the pee, pee goes into the urinary tract, then they make the pheromones and inject that into the urinary tract, then they squirt that out of their faces and use their gills to shoot it forward. It goes about seven feet, seven times the lobster's body length kind of thing. Okay. Um, and yeah, it's, it's good for communicating. So then that led me to like, oh, okay, what do lobsters do when they mate? I would like to investigate the mating habits of lobsters, which is, I'm sure, a typical weekend activity for most people. It's not just me. Um, yes, most most weekends for most, most people. Weekends. Yeah. So for most types of lobster, this is how it works. You've got males that become aggressive during mating season and compete for the best den locations. You know, one male per den, of course. Yep. Um, mating season happens at very different times, depending on the type of lobster, the location of the lobster, tons of other things. And it's really variable because female lobsters can only mate when their shell is soft. So within a few weeks of molting and okay. the molting times can vary quite a lot, depending on lots of things. So that's why mating systems, mating seasons kind of all over the place. Um, so for example, like red rock lobsters molt as early as February in southern waters, but not until late June in the warmer northern waters. Um, and they can mate between two hours to 63 days after they molt. So it's just kind of like, oh, 63 yeah. days is actually a pretty big window. Right. Um, Lobsters are pretty selective about their mates. Larger males prefer to mate with large females, and females prefer to mate with the largest male available. And successful reproduction actually requires the lobsters to be of similar size. Okay. Unlike a lot of other animals. Yeah. Right. Um, so lobsters practice something that is not monogamy. Serial 
mm, it's not serial. Serial monogamy is kind of how mo <laughs> serial mono. The females only usually mate with one male, but the males mate with lots of females. But sometimes the females mate with lots of males. It's kind of hard to classify what kind okay. of mating system it is. Basically, females line up at the dens of like a desirable male. They get in the line to mate with him. Not, not really. First female that gets there takes a number or something. Squirts pee out of her face at the male. And that relaxes him and makes him less aggressive and kind of more receptive to her. Then they do a little courtship and he lets her come in his den. And then, you know, a few hours or a few days later, she removes her exoskeleton. So sexy. And, uh, you know, this is a really good time for her to molt because it's a pretty vulnerable state to be in. And yeah. a big male can protect her in his den, right? This makes so, sense. So this works out well. So when they're all ready to mate, however many days later that is, um, they stand up kind of belly to belly and they kind of hold on to each other and fall over with the female on top. And then the male sticks his spermatophore into her belly, onto her belly, depends on the type of lobster. Sper spermatophores are like external packages of sperm you can stick onto things. Yeah. Yeah. So then that kind of package begins to disintegrate almost right away. The female starts extruding her eggs out of her body. They kind of pass from her body through that spermatophore. Um, so they get fertilized and they get pushed into that pleopod area I was mentioning earlier. Her pleopods are somewhere kind of under the tail. Um, and you'll see like in commercial lobster fishing, that if they find females that have that big mass under their tail, they punch a little hole in the tail, like a like a little paper yeah, okay. um, hole punch thing to like mark it and put it back so people don't take that lobster out of the ocean so that she can stay in there and make more lobsters for people to fish. So I guess okay. it kind of works. Yeah. Um, so once her new shell has hardened a week or two later, a little bit, it's not fully done, um, then she leaves. And another female kind of comes in. Okay. So when I say line up, I didn't mean quite literally, but the females do tend to stagger themselves very efficiently. They stagger those molts and they stagger the visits to his den. So they're not really competing. Um, and, you know, so as soon as one's done, the next one is waiting to pee on him. Yeah. Right. Um, but sometimes, occasionally, the male doesn't provide enough sperm to fertilize all of her eggs. And then she'll actually leave before her new shell is hardened to find another male to mate with or more than one male. Um, so usually that's just one or two extra mates, but as many as 10 have been reported. So depending on the type of lobster, egg numbers can be anywhere from the low hundreds of thousands to like the millions. Wow. Uh, yeah. The number of eggs is also dependent on the size of the female. Bigger females have more eggs. And she's going to brood the eggs on the pleopods for 9 to 12 months of gestation before they hatch into the little larvae. It's so a long time. It, uh, yeah. yeah, I know. Nine months is a long time to have a little, <laughs> a little something growing on you. Okay, so speaking of molting, I was interested in how that 
process is like triggered and how it works. Yeah. Um, so again, it's kind of complicated. I won't get into it. Um, but it's hormone regulated as many growth processes are. Um, the hormones are called ECD or ecti steroids. I don't really know how you say it. Um, which comes from something called the Y organ. And there's also molt inhibiting hormones from the X organ. Mm. Um, kind of makes sense because the scientific term for molting is ecdysis. Ecdysis? Ecdysis. Which is from the Greek for getting out. Oh, that does make sense. Yes. Um, so molting is necessary for the lobster to grow any bigger. Um, right. As is the case for animals with an exoskeleton, right? Because it's like this hard cage around their body. So it doesn't grow. Right. So yeah, for them to get any bigger, they need to lose that old exoskeleton and grow a new one. So to prepare for this, it like makes its new exoskeleton underneath its old one. But I assume at that point it's still like pliable or... Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So once it's like... Every detail is complete, like every little bump and hair and spine and pigment. Um, then, by the way, is when it regenerates limbs, it's lost. Lobsters oh. can regenerate their limbs during molt. Very cool. Um, so what they do is they start to remove the minerals from their old exoskeleton, like all those... Um, lime, you know, like calcium oxide type... Uh, things calcium carbonate being like one of the bigger components of the lobster shell. Okay. And they store them in these deposits called gastroliths. Okay. So we talked about gastroliths as you know being used in medicine and being found in the stomach. Gastrolith for stone. That totally makes sense. Stomach stones basically. Yeah. And so they like tether them to the sides of their stomach with these little cords basically. That'll come back into. Focus later. Uh, so then they remove the blood from the claws and their limbs, and all the lime in their joints starts to dissolve. So their limbs shrivel with no blood. Okay. Their joints kind of get a lot looser, and um, by the time it's a few days away from shedding, uh, certain areas of the old exoskeleton where they've been reabsorbing the minerals from are very, like, soft and kind of start to turn bluish colored. Cool. Um, so just prior to molting, the lobster drinks a bunch of water um, into their gut and, like, swells the new exoskeleton out, which pops, like, pushes <laughs> the old shell apart. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then it lies down on its side and kind of pulls its appendages all out of the old shell. Um, and that's, like... I don't know, a couple of minutes to half an hour, depending on how big the lobster is. Um, then it's going to try to hide somewhere. Sure. So in the case of the females, that's why they usually do this during the, the mating time. Yeah. Because yep. um, it takes a few days for it to start to harden, but it's not like super hard yet. Um, it takes mm, like a month or even more to like really completely harden. And... Um, so part of that is that it, like, will dissolve their digestive system. And, 
well, they shed slash dissolve. They kind of shed the digestive system. They make a new one, Interesting. basically. Okay. And what that does is it causes those gastroliths, like the tether cords, to fall apart. The gastroliths fall down into the digest- digestive juices. They dissolve, which allows those, like, minerals um, that were in the gastroliths to then go back through the body and start to help that new exoskeleton to harden. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Another thing they will do to help their exoskeleton harden is eat their old gel. Right, because it has a lot of the minerals they need in it. Right. So that's what we talked about earlier with the mistake that thinking lobsters were... Cannibalistic. um, Yeah, cannibals, because they found lobster inside of them while it was just that, their own shell, we Mm -hmm. think. Um. So there are some factors that will influence how fast it calcifies. So water temperature, uh, warmer water actually, you know, I'm sure you speed it up. Warmer water speeds it up. Speeds it up. Yeah. Colder water slows it down. Really? Just kind of like any chemical reaction you would think of. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Um, So in the first five to seven years of their life, they'll probably shed like... Up to 25 times. Because they're growing more rapidly. Right. And then adults will only mole once every year or two. Okay. Um, and the thing that I think is super cool, of course, is the limb regeneration aspect of molting. Yeah. So um, every time the new molt happens, the regenerated limb will look more and more like the original. Um, okay. So it does take a while to get back to completely... Regenerated. <laughs> Brand new. Yeah. yeah. They can also regenerate their eyes and their antennae in the same fashion during molt. Wow. It's okay. Super cool. Um, so you may have noticed that when we are going over odd lobster anatomy, we kind of touched on most every sense except for one. Touch? No. Kind of talked about mechanoreception. Yeah. You know, in the sense of hearing, but yeah, okay. Sight, sound, sight? We didn't talk about sight? I guess we didn't. <laughs> I had to go through the senses in my mind to, to figure <laughs> that one out for a second. We didn't talk about sight. Okay. And the reason for that is because it's going to get its own section because it's super cool. Okay. So I... This is another one of those sections in which I had probably four more pages written and cut it all out because I don't think anyone might find compound eyes and omatidium and reflection versus refraction versus, I mean, there's a whole lot of stuff. Um, Just go to Google and search compound eyes and follow all the links on Wikipedia and you'll find some really cool stuff. Of course. About how eyes work, but the... Basic fact is that lobsters, like other arthropods, have compound eyes. And that basically means they have thousands of little independent photoreception units that all have their own lens and corneas and cell, like photoreceptor cells, and then the images are kind of pasted together. Right. And what that means is that they're going to have poor image resolution compared to eyes that work like ours. But they're going to have high sensitivity to movement. Okay. A 180-degree field of view. That's quite a bit. And the ability to detect polarized light. Mm, That's very cool. It's super cool. Um, They can detect 
prey through layers of sand, silt, muddy water, um, things that, you know, effectively should be invisible. Right. And this is so interesting to scientists and people that aren't scientists. So we're going to start with the Department of Homeland Security. Well, in the pool of people who are scientists, in the pool of people who aren't scientists, that's everyone. Yeah, so everyone should think this is cool. Exactly. But what I'm trying to say is business-wise, technology-wise, they have inspired quite a few products and we're going to talk about two. So like I said, one, we're going to start with the Department of Homeland Security. Okay. Um who has invented the lobster eye x-ray imaging device, Lexid. Um, which is a handheld device that can detect and identify humans and contraband in like hidden compartments, through walls of various thicknesses, through different materials. Um, and it's handheld. That's very cool. And it's handheld. So, of course, they're using it for drug smuggling and well, terrorism and all yeah. the Department of Homeland Security type things. Um, but they're not the only ones interested in lobster vision. Hmm. Yes. For more than half a century, scientists have wanted to understand how cosmic x-rays work, where they're coming from. Just like, you know, they're very interesting. What do they have to say about our galaxy and universe and etc.? Um, and as it turns out, lobsters are of great interest to astronomers for this reason. Hmm. That's why there's so Where many of them in space. Where am I going with this, right? <laughs> so their eyes can sense motion in such low light environments that it inspired um, astronomers to try to use that same light gathering um, like technique mechanic. Sure. Yeah. So again, we have eyes that have rounded lenses, and they refract light. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Lobster's eyes depend on reflection of light. Okay. Do you want to do a one-sentence explanation on the difference between refraction and reflection? Sure. So uh, I think the simplest way to think about this is if you were to think about uh, like a pool of water or something like that, and light were was coming through the air and hit the surface of the water... And it went through the water, but it would change the angle that it goes into the water. That's refraction. But if the light were to hit the surface of the water and bounce back, that would be reflection. Right. So kind of almost like bending versus bouncing and changing. Bending being like, yeah, changing the angle through the medium versus sending the light back, basically. So each of the lobster's eyes... Is made up of like 10,000 square shaped tubes that are packed together. That's our, you know, common, that's what we're going to think about for this compound eye. Okay. Each tube is lined with flat reflective surfaces that, so you can think of them like mirrors. Yeah. Like okay. a tube of mirrors um, that direct incoming light down to the retina. And they can trap light, even in the dark, basically any light that, that comes in and like focus it onto the layer of photoreceptive cells in their eye. Um, and so astronomers have developed a lobster-based instrument with multiple reflective tubes pointing in all directions that can capture x-rays from a much larger portion of the sky. So current x-ray telescopes 
can only image the sky with a half degree field of view. Half degree, yeah, okay. Half a degree. Yeah. The lobster-inspired optics instrument that is being designed, has been designed, it's hard to tell where they're at with it. Sure. Um, is going to have a 20 by 20 degree field of view. So is the area is going to be 40 times larger than any existing technology. Wow. And you can imagine that'll have a great impact on what we'll be able to understand. See or study um, and observe at one time. So similarly, there's a lobster-influenced telescope design. Right. Um, that will hopefully capture images um, of the solar wind magnetosphere interactions, like kind of between here and the moon. Mm. Here in the yeah, okay. like kind of in that area. Um and it's hoping to capture images in just a few minutes, whereas it currently takes up to 12 hours for an image. Okay. Yeah. So, like, I, I don't know. I didn't. When I started the research, I did not think Lobster Eyesight was going to lead to Homeland Security and Space. astronauts, yeah. astronomers. But that's, that's where it has I'm led to. I'm surprised you didn't just make that connection right away. Yeah. What was I thinking? I don't know. Another thing. Mm -hmm. researchers are interested in about lobsters is their aging or lack thereof. Okay. Um, so here's the other meme myth that goes around the internet a lot that lobsters are immortal. Mm. It's definitely not true or they don't age. They, hmm, they, hmm, it's hard. It's really hard because aging is not a well defined right. concept. But they most certainly are not immortal. Um, that's pretty silly. So we don't know their lifespan super well. Um, their size and weight kind of helps us guess at the age. Um, a more reliable way that scientists have learned recently is that you can look at the fat residue on their eye stalks. Um, and kind of there's also like fat rings deposited in their eye stalks. Oh, okay. So yeah, that's interesting. So when they did... A study like, like that, they found on average a male European lobster would live to 31 years old, females to 54 years old. Wow. Um, but they've found lobsters at 72 years old. They think one was 100 years old. So, like, um, hard to tell. Yeah. We think they've got a pretty decently long lifespan. Um, the thing is that they have something called indeterminate growth. So, like a lot of other decapod crustaceans... They continue to grow throughout their whole life. Okay. So the bigger they or like the older they are, the bigger they get. Yes. Okay. Um, they'll die from predation, including, of course, yeah. us. Yeah. <laughs> um, or health issues like shell disease that mm -hmm. we mentioned. Um, but a very large contributor to their death is because of that continuous growth. So each time they molt, they're going to need more and more energy to do it. Yeah. And when they get really big, eventually the energy cost of molting is just too high for them and they die of exhaustion. Um, we don't know how many lobsters go out this way, but one expert thinks it's 10 to 15% of lobsters that die from, that many? from exhaustion. Okay. Yeah. Um, so just... Fun fact, the current record for crustacean weight, any crustaceans weight, is a one meter long American lobster. One meter? One meter Holy long cow, American big. lobster caught off the coast of Nova Scotia in 1977. 
that weighed 20.14 kilograms. So that's 44 pounds, 6 ounces. Holy cow. Mm -hmm. That's a big boy. Or girl. Or girl, but yeah. Considering how the female lobsters we think live longer. Sure. Um, but maybe that's also because fishermen try not to fish. <laughs> I mean, it's complicated, right? Yeah. Um, so, aging. Aging is complex, as I was saying. There are more than 300 theories that try to explain aging and aging mechanisms. And um, there, obviously, there's no real agreement there. Um, but it's why, why is it interesting to scientists? They don't show any typical signs of aging. Um, lobsters don't get weaker as they get older. They don't stop reproducing. They don't stop eating and feeding and walking and yeah. being active. Like they don't, they don't seem to age, which is where the immortality myth, of course, spawned from. Of course, that makes sense. Um, so DNA. You know what DNA is? I'm not going to explain DNA. Yes. But uh, here's the thing. DNA is made of chromosomes, yes? Yes. Okay. And since DNA is so important, uh, our bodies, well, living organisms have developed a mechanism to not lose crucial information when DNA replicates itself. So... There's the chromosomes have short segments of DNA on their ends called telomeres. Right. And these are protective segments. So the analogy I found to describe it best, I think, when I was in school was that think of it like aglets, you know, the little plastic pieces on a shoelace. Yeah. Those little protective pieces on the tip. That's what you can think of a telomere like. Okay. Except for, um, so when the cell multiplies, that little plastic tip is the part that's going to be lost. Makes sense. But there's nothing important in it. It's right. just that it's just the protective part that's there to make sure nothing is lost. But then it gets shorter and shorter every time it replicates, right? Right. Um, until there's this critical point in which the cell can't replicate without damaging the important part of the DNA. On um, we've, we've run out of space for this protective part, right? Um, so that's when cells become inactive or die. Like that's what causes aging in the most general sense of how we can explain it. Okay, fine. Okay. So a study in American lobsters has all but proven that the reason that they don't kind of slow down in old age is because they have an infinite supply of an enzyme called telomerase through their cells. And this enzyme regenerates telomeres. Okay. So, so they're constantly protecting their DNA. Life. Yeah. Humans and other organisms, of course, do have telomerase, but only in embryonic tissues, stem cells, and tumor cells, which explains the rapid growth. I see. Of these items. Yeah. Okay. Um, another reason why stem cells are of such interest to yeah. scientists. Yeah, yes. exactly. Um, so scientists are hoping that by studying lobsters, they can find, you know, the holy grail, yeah. human aging, find a way to reverse it or slow it down or stop it or whatever. Yep. Find a way for telomerase to be produced or used in our bodies. Anyways, that's why lobster aging is... 
very interesting. Cool. Um, yeah. So that's all. That's all I've got about lobsters. But that was pretty cool. It was very cool. I was surprised about how cool it was. Yeah. Um, I do want to finally mention our email again because I realize I haven't mentioned it the last few episodes. Sure. Um, so if anyone has questions or comments or critiques, because I repeat, I am not an expert and I like to learn new things. So if there's something you want to add or correct me on, I am game. Uh, maybe even suggestions for something you'd like me to talk about. The email is teach me something for, that's the numeral four at gmail.com. Um, and, uh, yeah, I've got a couple of interesting topics on the go for next time. I think we're probably going to talk about some ancient, really, really old history. Eh, it's not that old. <laughs> it's history. old, but it's not ancient. William the Conqueror. Cool. Probably. Yep. I think that I'm, I'm into that right now. Um, so I want to say once again to you guys, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Teach Me Something. I'm Melissa. And I'm Everett. And I hope you learned something new.